So let's just uh, kind of, I'm going to try to bring the, the book of Corinthians back into full focus here with a little review of what we've been talking about before we jump into the text for this morning. But as you, you can remember, it was a long time ago we started this, but basically the, the Corinthian church had written Paul a letter with a lot of questions about what is right and what is wrong within the church, right? That, that's where it started, and he's writing this letter back to them, answering all their various questions. And, and, and some of them were, is this, this issue of the church needs to be united. I got waters all over the place here, but... Uh, the church needs to be united because see in the Corinthian church they had all these little cliques you know the Greeks were in a clique and the Jews were in a clique and the rich were in a clique and and the church was not united and he said that is not the body of Christ the whole idea is to show the miracle and the power of God as the church gets together of all people from different backgrounds and different histories they get together and as they love one another and love the Lord together the world says oh my goodness only through Christ could this happen. He goes, so stop your division, stop your prejudice, stop your racism, start, stop all that, and be united as one body of believers. And then he said, the other thing you need to start doing is serving one another. And, and stop being prideful about the spiritual gift you've been given. God gave you that gift. Use it for the glory of God. Use it to help one another become all they can in Christ. He also talked about the issue of, of marriage and singleness. They're both blessings within the church. God may call some to singleness and some to marriage. And he, he went through teaching them, stop fighting over those things and embrace whatever God's call is on your life. And he continues with the list. Uh, some other things he talked about was this, this, um, this Christian liberty. Do you remember the Christian liberty he goes, God has given us some liberties or some things we can engage in in life. He said, but never put your liberties over your responsibilities. Do you remember this? Yeah. He's saying, so in other words, you know, maybe sitting here, some of you might be able to have a drink, but it'd be a stumbling block to others in this church if you had a drink with, in front of them. Are you with me on that? Yeah. So, so, so we, we, we know what our liberties are, but never raise your liberties above your responsibilities and your love for your brothers and sisters. And then he also talked about the proper order of worship in the church. I mean, it's hard to even imagine, but people were coming to the Lord's table drunk. They were having such a big feast with wine and food that by the time it came to, to celebrate the body and bread of Christ, some people were actually drunk in the church. And, and there was sin and morality in the church. He had a, a, a son sitting with his stepmom, and the church wasn't addressing the sin in the body and, and making sure the, that the church was pure, Right? So, so Paul's answering all these questions, and then what I love about chapter 15, it's as if he just stops answering questions and couldn't help himself and just started preaching the gospel, right? Have you ever been there? Well, it's just like, you know, okay, I'm answering this question. You know, wait a minute. Christ died for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. This is the gospel. He reminds the church of the God. I love 15. It's a jewel in the Bible when he stops and preaches. And you see that in other letters of Paul, but right here, he stops to preach the gospel, right? So let me review 15 for just a minute. You remember verses 1 through 11, right? Paul starts off this preaching by saying what? That I'm going to share with you undeniable proof that the gospel is true, right? 
Now I'm going to test you here a little bit. There was three key things he shared with them to prove the gospel was true. Who can tell me one of those things? Love. What's that? Love. Okay, love. Okay, one of the undeniable proof is the witnesses that saw the resurrected Lord, right? There was Peter, there was the apostles, there was the over 500 witnesses that Ann shared. He goes, we have so many witnesses that we would win this case in any court of law, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the other key thing about the witnesses, don't remember, a lot of these people were martyred. That means they were killed because they would not say that Christ did not rise from the dead. Say, you say, listen, if you, don't, if you will deny Christ and say he didn't rise from the dead, we'll let you live. Otherwise, we're going to crucify you or cut off your head. Crucify me, cut off my head. That's how sure they were that he rose from the dead. Unbelievable, right? Okay, so that's one of them. There's two more. What's another one? Very good, Jason. Prophecy fulfilled. Over 350 specific prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the life and death of Jesus Christ. Specific prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. Do you know how impossible that is, probability-wise, that 350 specific prophecies could be made about Christ and they were all fulfilled? It's unbelievable proof that he'd born in Bethlehem, he'd born of a virgin, he'd live a sinless life, and on and on, all the way through his crucifixion and resurrection. Okay, you got two, we got one more. What's that? Yeah, okay, Paul was one of the witnesses... Very good. What's that? The apostles, they, they're all part of the witnesses. Good, you're picking out specifics. But the first one he said to them is, here's an undeniable proof that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again. The church. The church. If you're sitting here right here this morning and you've been born again, if you've cast off your chains and you've been redeemed, you know that the gospel is true because only a true gospel can save us. So he's saying, I'm going to tell you the gospel and you know it's true because it's what saved you, Corinthian church. It's what saved you, Oasis church. A false gospel can't save anybody. So he said, three undeniable proofs. The church, the prophecies, and the witnesses are the three proofs that the gospel is true. Isn't that wonderful? It's overwhelming. And then last week, Pastor Tyler was going over, he went over the uh, verses 12 through 19. Do you remember that from last week? And let me just rephrase it this way. He went over the seven consequences. Are you all still with me? The seven consequences if the gospel is not true. See, because what, what Pastor Tyler talked about is the Greeks believed that the physical world was bad and the only thing that was eternal or, or, or worthy is the spirit itself. So they believed their bodies. There's no way that God was going to resurrect their bodies. In fact, that's what led them to such an immoral life. They were sexually immoral. They were drunken. They were prostitutes because the body didn't matter to them. It was this, this thing that would go in the ground and decay and stay in the ground. And Paul goes, let me tell you something. That's the Greeks, by the way, not the Jews. The Jews didn't believe that. Many of the Jews believed in the resurrection. But the Greeks, which were dominant in, in Corinth, believed that. And he says, if that is true that you didn't raise from the dead, if you're not going to be raised from the dead, let me tell you the consequences of that belief. Do you remember those? Yeah. I won't quiz you on all seven of those. I'll just share them with you briefly. He says, if you're not going to be raised from dead, one of the consequences, then Christ was not raised from the dead. So he himself was not raised from the dead. The preaching of the gospel is worthless because it's a false gospel. Your faith in Christ is worthless. That's a third consequence. 
Fourth, we who proclaim the gospel are liars because we're sharing a false gospel. The fifth consequence is that we're all still dead in our sins because Christ hasn't been raised from dead. You're not going to be raised from dead. It's a false gospel, so you're still dead in your sins. And because you're still dead in your sins, when you come to the seat of judgment, the sixth consequence is you will be eternally damned. And then the seventh one is we should be most pitied amongst all the people in the world. Because we are pouring out our lives for a false gospel and for a Christ that wasn't raised, so we won't be raised. We might as well stay at home and watch TV on Sunday morning. But praise God, He did rise from the dead. The tomb is empty. And the evidence, again, church, scripture, witnesses. So he goes back to that now. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. You want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. And we'll pick up, and he, he, will, he goes back to the, the gospel now after he talked about the seven consequences. And here it is here, and Anne's going to open the word for us. If Ephraim, if you could turn this, this mic on for Anne. Please rise for the, in, in reverence for God's word. Good morning, Oasis family. Good morning. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Mm -hmm. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, Mm -hmm. then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ann. Thank you. I like her softness. (laughs) She softened you all up a little bit. So let's, let's work our way through these uh, scriptures uh, one at a time here and uh, take it all in. But he says, but in fact, see, so these are the seven consequences if, if the gospel's not true. But in fact, he says what? Christ has been raised from the dead. It is true. It's undeniable. I've already proven that to you. And then he goes on to say that, that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says Christ is the first fruits of those who have died. Now, let me just show you the first fruits a little bit. We don't typically talk in that language in our day, but it was very well understood by the Jewish people. Here it goes back to the law given to the Jewish people, Leviticus 23.10, before they entered the promised land. 
And the, the Lord says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Do you see that? So the point was, picture this with me, as, as the Jewish people were an agricultural community, you know, they were all farmers back then, and, and so he says, when they get in the promised land and their, their crops are all ripe and ready to go, the first thing they must do is go take a section, that would say maybe a tithe, a portion of those crops, and they can't harvest the rest of the field yet, they have to take a portion of these crops, bring it to the priest, and then the priest would offer that to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, Right? And it's a, it's a, it's a statement of, of worship. See, you know, God, I, it's, it's saying, God, I, I know you're in control of all things. You're, you're the creator and sustainer of all life. I know that this crop has come to me out of the, the goodness of your own hands. You brought the rain and you made the seeds grow. So before I can harvest this, the first thing I'm going to do is take a percentage of this called the first fruits and go offer it to God to say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the food on my table. Thank you that I got up today and you've given me a new day. My heart is beating and I'm breathing in and out. Thank you, Lord. He didn't want him to take anything for granted. Now, I don't see anybody coming into the church anymore with wheat and olives and, and fruits and vegetables. But what do we do now in, in the same context of this? Tithe. Thank you, Demetrius. We tithe. See, so, so when we give to the church, we're saying the same thing because I don't think there's many farmers in here. But so, so what we do is we, we give a tithe to the church and, and we, it says we give with gladness and singleness of heart. We say, thank you, God. Thank you for the food on my table. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the job I have. It, it's a way of worshiping God through what he's given us. So, so in here, so he's saying in the same way, this, uh, go back to the text here, in the same way, this first fruits, what they're saying is that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. Are you with me? So he's saying, and by the way, if there was first fruits given to the priest, that was a guarantee that the harvest was going to be harvested, right? That means you had a harvest to harvest. So he's saying that because Christ rose from the dead, that is the first fruits, that is the undeniable evidence, and hear this, the undeniable guarantee that those who believe will be resurrected from the dead. Undeniable guarantee that all who believe will be raised from the dead. That's what he's saying to them. Praise God for that truth. Now let me just, important that you understand this process a little bit. And by the way, doesn't that bring us comfort that all those that are dead in Christ will be raised from the dead? Do you have loved ones, maybe mentors, family that have gone to be with the Lord? And do you, do you realize that one day you will be with them? They will have physical bodies, glorified, but physical bodies, and you will be reunited with all those loved ones that knew the Lord. So it's, it's a comforting thing. But the reality is just so we know is that so when we die... Now, in the, in, the, in the time we live in, immediately our spirit, the inner person of all that we are, goes to paradise to be with the Lord. The body goes in the ground with all the other bodies of the saints waiting for Christ's return 
when there will be the great rapture, the great resurrection of all the dead. But the, the truth is, just like the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven, paradise, yes. Today you'll be with me in paradise. His body's still in the ground of the thief on the cross, along with the apostles and all the other saints. But his spirit is living with the Lord. The presence of the Lord is where we'll live when we die. Right? So, that's what he's talking about. It's the resurrection of the dead that is coming. And, and the great rapture, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. We're going to, I'm not going to get too deep into eschatology, but I'm going to touch on the end times a little bit of what they look like, just to give us a flavor. Because we would probably need about a 12-week, at least a 12-week series to talk about eschatology. And for those who don't know what that word means, that just means the study of the end days, the end times when Christ returns and what that's going to look like. But I'm going to give you a little picture of that today. So stay, stay tuned in here. We'll get to that as we work through the text. So here we go. It says, for as by a man, so he goes back, he talks about the first fruit and the resurrection, reminding him that it's true, that because Christ raised, we will all be raised. And then he goes back to the gospel again. He can't get off of it. Praise God. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see that? And you know, I like what St. Augustine said here. He said, before the fall, Adam was able to sin or not sin. After the fall, he was not able to not sin. Right? That's the reality. See, we all, we all know that Adam chose sin. He, he knowingly disobeyed God. God gave him a very clear... He wasn't confused. He was given a very clear command, and he, he chose to disobey God and eat from the forbidden tree, right? And because of that, at that point, he was the ruler of the world under God, and, and there was no sin in the world. There was no Satan in the world. There was, there was no death in the world. But when he chose to sin, Satan became the prince of this world, Sin entered the world, and death entered the world as a consequence for his disobedience. And we are all born in the seed of Adam, the first Adam. That's what it says in the, in the for as a man came death, for as an Adam all die. We, we, who here does not know that they were a born sinner? Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty for sin is death. That's the, that's the curse we were all born under. But praise God, he gets onto the good news. So also in Christ, all should be made alive. All should be made alive. I pray you're all alive in Christ. You're all alive in Christ. There was a day in your life where you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the first fruits. And in that moment, you were born again. You became a child of God. You became an eternal child of God. And if you're sitting here and that you've not done that, today's a great day to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You want to be sure of this truth that you have truly been born again and you are now alive in Christ. Because every one of us is eternal, it's just a matter of where. Just let me show you this verse here, it just kind of reinforces what we're talking about, Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, uh, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We are, for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, it's not because we are good in ourselves, it's because we've been declared righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're covered with his righteousness and his blood. Amen, Steamer. 
The good news is always so good. So then he continues, but then now he gets into this resurrection thing a little bit more after he broke out in the gospel again. He says, but in each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Do you see that? Christ is that first fruit, which is the guarantee that all that believe will be resurrected as well. By the way, it says all who belong to Christ. It's not those that are religious. It's not those that do good works. It's those that truly belong to Christ. Are you with me on that? Those that have surrendered and are submitting and they're following and they're denying self. They're serious about this call. They're all in. They're not, it's not like, you know, the, the uh, rangers have parachutes hoping they'll never need them. That's how a lot of people are with God. I, I got God in my pocket. I hope I never need to call on him. No, that's not the life of a follower. Every day it's, what, what is in my life today for you, Lord? King. So those who belong to him will be resurrected. I love this quote too. I'm sorry I'm a little quote heavy today, but I found this one too that I really love from theologian Eric Sauer. It's almost like Shower probably why I liked it so much. But Eric Sauer, it says, and I love this description. The, listen to this. The present age is Easter time. The present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer. That's when Easter began, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Isn't that beautiful? And, it's, and then he continues, between the spiritual resurrection of those called into life through Christ, so we lie between two Easter's in the power of the first Easter to go and meet the last Easter. Isn't that good? It gives me goosebumps. Because so, so the first Easter was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruits, and now we're living in the day where people are being saved, the day of salvation, where people are still being saved and, and being redeemed, right? And then the final Easter will be when Christ returns and all those who have been redeemed since the beginning of the church will be resurrected. And so then he says, he, he really does his eschatology in just a few verses here, but he goes, then comes the end. Then comes the end. He didn't get into a lot of detail here, as John does in the book of Revelation, or Daniel does in the book of Daniel, but he does give us, then comes the end. And what does that look like? He says, when he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. It says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And to me, this is a picture of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year rule of Christ. Because when he returns, you've got to picture this, brother. It's a beautiful picture. He comes back, and he's going to restore. First, he, we'll see, he resurrects all the believers. Then I believe there's a, there's a thousand-year rule, the millennial kingdom where Christ rules. And he's restoring all of creation, hear this, all of creation back to the order that it was before the fall. He's cleaning up the house so he can give it back to his father. Are you with me on that? He's got to get the house cleaned up. He's got to destroy Satan. He's got to destroy the demonic army. He's got to, he's got to put to death any, any rebellion against God. So in that thousand year rule, everything is made right. But not only that, all of creation is restored to what it was before the fall. 
my grandkids came to me and asked me, why did God make stingers? Because we were sitting on our front porch with mosquitoes and there was yellow jackets flying around. And why did he make stingers? I, and I said, ask your dad. No. I, <laughs> the, the point was is that you know, we live in a fallen world. Why, why do I have so many weeds in my garden all the time? It was part of the curse after the fall that God allowed this world to be changed. But I told my, my, grands, I my grandson or granddaughter, I can't remember who asked me, but I said, one day the stingers will all be gone. All the weeds will be gone. And we, we can't even imagine, because even in this fallen state, God's creation is overwhelmingly beautiful. Is it not? And, and, but see, we haven't seen a sunrise yet. We haven't seen a sunset yet. We haven't seen a flower yet. We haven't tasted food yet. It's all coming. He's going he's to restore it all. And you could drink out of any river or any pond. They're all clear and pure and clean. You don't need vitamins and minerals anymore. You, and, and the lion lays down with the lamb. There will be no more murder, no more death. And guess what? How about this? No more politicians. Amen. No more politicians. No more Congress. No more Senate. No more presidents. No more kings. No more ambassadors to foreign countries. They'll all be gone. No more Supreme Court. No more judges. We will all be under the King of Kings. One that judges perfectly all the time because he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. Can you imagine a time like that? And we will be a people who truly have, have been empowered because we'll be glorified to love one another as, as we love ourselves. We'll be able to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul. I know we struggle to do that now. We'll be able to do that perfectly in this new world. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he's talking about. He, he's going to come and reign, get everything right, and then he's going he's to put it down at the feet of his dad. Isn't it exciting? That's why we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Right? And he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Bill, are you going to work? Yes, I am. Okay, have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I pray so. Also, oh, he, con he concludes this section with this. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. I want you to picture this. In, in the context of the, the historical context, is that kings, as you know, you've seen enough movies or read enough things, kings were always on elevated platforms. You had multiple steps to get up to his throne, to his judgment. Are you with me on this? They'd be up there. If you came into the, to the throne room of any king, they had an elevated base where they would sit. And when a king defeated any other nation, the generals or the kings of the defeated nation would be brought for him and they'd be put down at his feet. And quite often, the victorious king would actually put his foot on the neck to declare, I have defeated you. You are my subject. That's the picture here. God has put all things in the subjection under his feet, under the feet of Jesus Christ. Everything will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Satan and his demonic army will be completely defeated. And Jesus said himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what his father entrusted him. And by the way, this is just, and then it says, it is plain that he is accepted who has put all things subject, in subjection under him. He's saying, obviously, I'm not talking about God the Father. I'm talking about everything else. 
And then he says, once I have completely subjected all things to him and Jesus has gotten the house in order, he gives it to his father that he himself subjects himself under him. He sits at his right hand and they rule for eternity together. This is what we have to look forward to. This isn't some Hollywood movie. This is a reality of the kingdom of God. This is what's going to happen. Now stay with me. We're going to get into a few verses here. I want to bring some rapture, end time, a few verses to you to look at. I won't get into a lot of detail. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. Okay, so first is Matthew 24, 21 uh, 21 through 24. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, "For, for then... There will be great tribulation such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. That's how bad things are going to be. They're going to be the worst they've ever been. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, for those who have been born again, for the children of God, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. You see that? Now, I'd love to talk about the tribulation, the great tribulation, and go over all the details. I don't have time. Here you go. Here's your homework. Revelation 6 through Revelation 18, if you want to read about the great tribulation as the worst time in the history of the world. It only takes you maybe 30, 40 minutes to work through those, those chapters. They're short. But you will see the condition of the world will be incredibly terrible. It's estimated that 80% of mankind will be killed. 80% will be killed through the Great Tribulation of those that are alive during that time. You see, just like us as Christians, as you know, when you were born again, God had to tear you down to bare dirt again before he rebuilt your life. The world's going to be tore down to bare dirt again before he rebuilds the new world. And like I said, I can't go over it all. You can read it yourself in Revelation 6 through 18. But there's a rapture. By the way, just so you know, the, the rapture is believed by most Bible scholars, most, most theologians as a reality. Where the debate is in eschatology is the timing of the rapture. When will God rapture the, the elect? Some are pre-tribulation, some are mid-tribulation, another one's called pre-wrath, and the last one is post-tribulation. It doesn't matter right now. We don't need to talk about that, but there will be a rapture, right? And I won't tell you what I believe. I won't give you the right answer. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I was supposed to read this too. So then, um, this is a new slide, John, just insert it for me. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Amen. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Do you see that? We talked about this already when we studied Matthew, but 
you can see the sun goes out, the moon goes out, the stars go out. It's completely dark. There's, there's, there's great trumpet sound. Everybody in the world will hear the trumpet sound of God. Everyone will come out of their houses and they'll be looking up in the sky and they will see the coming of the Lord with His angelic army. There will be no doubt about that. Everyone will see. Everyone will hear. And many will mourn because they will know they are not elect. And those that are saved will mourn as well because we will know that what's coming to those that have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And it says He will gather up. He will gather up all the elect. He will rapture all the believers. He will raise them up. And I'll show you that some more scripture here. Here's what He told when His apostles were asking Him about this. Thanks, John, for getting that verse in there. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. Right now, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place. The master carpenter is preparing a place for you. And he says, And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back again and take you, rapture you to myself, that where I am you may also be. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming for you. Isn't that good news? Okay, stay with me. We're almost done. I just want to show you a little bit deeper description of this rapture. One of the clearest is out of 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. Isn't that good? See what? Do you have hope? Do you have living hope living inside of you? See, listen, brothers and sisters, there's going to be a day for all of us that we're going to be laying on our deathbeds. And sadly, I've been alongside many people that have died. And many of those people do not have living hope. They really do not know what's going to happen. When they're hoping their good works are good enough. They're hoping their religious activities are enough. Some have done nothing in the area, but the reality is many have no hope. But we have hope. If you're sitting here and you're born again, you know without any doubt that you will be raised from the dead. And the moment you die, that very moment you die, your spirit will be with Jesus in paradise. That's the hope we have that those who believe, I pray you're all believers, that's the hope we have as believers. That's why Paul could say to live as Christ, to die as gain. He was filled with living hope. I'm not worried about death. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not going to fight against death. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm not afraid of any of these things. They don't bother me. To, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Don't live in fear. If you're truly a believer, your moment of death will be the greatest promotion. You're only going to say you wish you would have died earlier. So, so I don't want you to be like those who have no hope. And here's what we have hoping. It goes right back to the gospel. For since we believe that Christ died and rose again, we have that same hope, right? Are you with me? Even so, though Jesus, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is directly from the mouth of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who are alive when Christ returns will not precede those who are in the grave. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you see that? So let's, let's picture this in our own minds. So right now it happens, right? Let's just say. All, hallelujah. So all of a sudden, everything goes dark out there. And we're all, the, the world's shaking like an earthquake. And we're sitting in church. And we all go outside to see what's going on, like everybody else in the whole world will be doing, right? And we're out there, and all of a sudden, we're looking around, and all these bodies are raising up. They're all coming out of the graves. Hey, I think I know him. They're all glorified bodies, and they're all being raised out of the tombs and brought up to Jesus in the clouds. And we're here as believers watching all this, right? And then what happens next? Us. We're glorified. We get our glorified bodies, which, by the way, we're all going to be at our target weight at that point. No more dieting. We're all going to hit that perfect target weight. And we're all going to be resurrected to the, to the, to the, the saints that have gone before us. And we're all united with Christ in the clouds. Come on. Be awesome. I still, I talked to Pastor Tyler about the fact that I have dreams where I'm, does anybody else have dreams where they're flying? Okay, some people do. That day we'll be flying, Tyler, see? We'll all be flying to heaven together. By the way, what do you think the world's going to say at that point of what happened? Aliens. Aliens. Come on. You know the world. It'll be all over the news. The aliens have invaded the world. They've taken the bodies. It's going to be all, they're going to convince everybody that it wasn't the Lord because the devil would still be the prince at this point. The prince of the air. Okay, so when, when is this day? No one knows. Here we go. Good. Thank you. You set me up perfectly. But about that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So what are we supposed to do? It says, Jesus says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He also says, not only keep watch, but he also said, so you also must be what? Be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So let me close with this. You've been very patient. I appreciate that this morning. Is that how, how do we keep watching? How do we, how, do, how do we get ready for the coming of the Lord? Let me give you three things. Okay, good word. You guys are getting them. Praise God. Let me say the first, the first thing that came to my heart and mind was the first thing we need to do is worship the King. We need to be men and women of worship. And I'm not talking about event. I'm not talking about singing the songs on Sunday morning. I'm talking about Romans 12, 1 and 2 to become living sacrifices as an act of worship to our King. I'm talking about every day praising God, worshiping God, living for God, denying self every day, pouring your life out as worship for the King. Let me tell you what worship does. Worship breaks you from the lies of the world. Worship breaks you from the lies of the world. If you worship throughout your day, believe me, you will not be deceived by the lies of the world. You, you won't be deceived. You won't be filled with fear about dying of COVID. You won't be filled with fear of what's next in your life. You'll be resting and trusting in the sovereignty of God. You'll know that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you will be filled with the worship of the King. It will overcome all those things in your life as you properly worship the King. Yes. And what it's talking about is 
we set our hearts and minds on things above, not the things of the world. That's worship. We're, 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 we're ambassadors for the King of Kings. It's like we sang today, uh, thy kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. That's through us as we, we are these ambassadors, these worshipers. People see that. And we overcome the world. That's the way you overcome the world. But see, people will sit and watch two or three hours of, of news, whatever your preferred channel is, and, what, and then they spend five minutes in their word checking a box. They're being conformed to the world. They're full of the same fear the lost are. It's sad to watch the Christian so-called church with the same fears and worries and concerns that the world has. Come on. So worship's number one. The second one is we need men and women of the word. Thy kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way we know what his will is is, is, is we're men and women of the word. You want to know what his agenda is for you? The word. The word will tell you what to do. The word will tell you what to say. The word will help you be conformed in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I've given you three W's so you can remember. So worship word and the third one is witness witness because Christ will return when the gospel has been spread throughout the entire world to all the corners of the earth so we are to be carrying out the great commission of sharing the gospel with the lost and I can tell you this brothers and sisters if you're serious about worship and you're serious about the word you can't help but witness I love that picture of if, if you were at home sitting on your porch and you notice your neighbor's house on fire and you notice that they were sleeping up in the upper bedrooms, what would you do? Stop and pray for them? You'd be kicking the door down. That's a sense of urgency of the gospel. That Everybody's house is on fire that don't know Jesus. Everybody's house is on fire that doesn't know Jesus. And, and we walk by them and don't even tell them about Jesus. And I picture that great line of judgment. People will be next to us and they're going to say to me, to me, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Right? So you want to get ready for the king? By the way, if you want to look at the signs, I think we're pretty close. Right? We're pretty close. I tell you what, we're a lot closer than, than we were a year ago. So we want to be watchful, we want to be ready. How do we do that? Worship, word, witness. Amen? Amen. Love you all. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, just your word. We're so grateful for what we see here, what we learn here, how it changes us. I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray I know that someone is sitting here going, I know I'm not a child of God. Today is a day. Work in their heart. Make them lead them to surrender to you. Help them to see their own sinfulness and, and surrender their life to Jesus so he may sit on the throne of their life. For all of us that are believers, Lord, help us not to be so lazy. Help us to be worshipers all day, every day. Help us to be men and women of the word and help us to be witnessing to the truth of the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He was buried on the third day he rose again. Thank you for the resurrection that is coming soon. In Jesus' name, amen.